right now on Matter of Fact. Meet the serial entrepreneur who built a brewery staffed by rival gang members. I actually think gangs are potentially the best opportunity to solve some of the major social problems in America. Could his radical idea actually work to curb gang violence? Plus, on the racetrack, he has the need for speed. Can NASCAR keep up? Is there really a place for African Americans to succeed, to be stars in the sport? Of course, I believe there definitely is. But first, in 1940s California, this little girl was turned away from her local public school. You can't leave these children here. She says, why not? Because we don't take Mexicans here. How her family's legal battle became a landmark case. Judge McCormick said, separate is not equal. The first time that had been spoken, separate is not equal. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. In 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court ended racial segregation in schools with the decision in Brown versus the Board of Education. But seven years earlier, a federal circuit court in California ruled that school segregation was unconstitutional. The California case, Mendez versus Westminster, decided 75 years ago on April 14, 1947, focused on Mexican-American children denied access to white schools. Seven-year-old Sylvia Mendez was at the center of that case. She's now in her 80s. We sent matter-of-fact correspondent Laura Chavez to meet the woman who helped pave the way for integrated schools. Oh my God, I see myself. <laughs> Sylvia Mendez may seem like any other Hispanic grandmother, but behind that smile is a woman who changed history. My name is Sylvia Mendez, daughter of Gonzalo and Felicitas Mendez. Sylvia was the little girl at the center of Mendez versus Westminster, a little-known case that paved the way for integrated schools before Brown versus Board of Education. In 1945, Sylvia's father, Gonzalo Mendez, asked her aunt Sally to enroll her and her brothers in a school just down the road. My aunt Sally went up to the clerk and she said, uh, you can't leave these children here. She said, why not? Because we don't take Mexicans here. These are the older kids in Mexican school. At the time, schools in California were segregated, and dark-skinned children with Hispanic last names weren't allowed at the 17th Street Elementary. That school was just for white students. Gonzalo, Jeronimo, Alicia, and Virginia and I would have to walk into the barrio to go to the Mexican school. So this is where you would walk? And this is where the school used to be, right here. Sylvia's father went to the school administration, but everyone gave him the same answer. No Mexicans allowed. Gonzalo then recruited four families, one from each school district in the county, to join the fight. The Mendez family then put up their own money and hired attorney David Marcus, who had just won a case to integrate public swimming pools. And he just won that case with the 14th Amendment, and it's in the Los Angeles Times. Once the Mendez family hired a lawyer, the school board made Gonzalo and Felicitas an offer, drop the case, and Sylvia and her brothers could go to the white school. But the Mendez family knew this wasn't just about their kids anymore. It was about the quality of education for all children, like these students, also at Hoover Elementary, the Mexican school. So talk to me about some of the differences between what they taught at the white school and the Mexican school. Well, in the Mexican school, they were trying to teach you how to speak English. 
even though we already spoke English, and how to take care of a house and how to cook, because they figured, you know, well, they'll end up being maids, you know. They weren't teaching us, you know, academics, like reading, writing, arithmetic. The Mendez's attorney argued the case based on the 14th Amendment, which guarantees equal treatment for all U.S. citizens. After a two-week court battle... Judge McCormick said, separate is not equal. The first time that had been spoken, separate is not equal, and they won the first case. The school board appealed the decision all the way to the California Supreme Court. And in the end, the court ruled in favor of the Mendez family. Shortly after, the governor of California, Earl Warren, signed a law prohibiting segregation in all public schools five years before Brown versus Board of Education was decided. I received that one in Mexico City. Sylvia has received dozens of awards and honors for her work and the work of her parents, including the Medal of Freedom in 2011. But the honor she's most excited about is the one in her hometown, the Mendez Tribute Park. Still under construction will be a reminder of her family's legacy. This is a beautiful space. It is. Their win meant that Sylvia did go to the white school. She graduated and became a nurse. Ooh, you that was when I graduated. This story struck a chord with me because of my own family's journey. In the early 1950s, my grandparents took a leap of faith and brought my father and his siblings to the U.S. from Mexico in the hope of giving their kids and future generations the best education available. My dad was actually the first one to graduate college of his immediate family, and it was such an accomplishment for my grandparents to see this happen because it wouldn't have happened without them being brave enough to cross over into the U.S., but it also wouldn't have happened if you weren't brave enough to walk in those doors. It wasn't me, it was my parents. I'm a storyteller, telling the story of Mendes versus Westminster, part of my history. In Westminster, California, I'm Laura Chavez for Matter of Fact. Next on Matter of Fact, a microbrewery on a mission to curb gang violence. They don't want to be selling drugs and out there doing all the violent things they do. But they don't have any opportunity to walk away from that. Can a job with benefits be the chance they're looking for? And later, thousands of missing indigenous women and girls leaving grieving families waiting for any word. Could a new kind of alert system prevent more pain? beer help stop gang violence? Well, that's the aim of True Colors. It's a brewery that launched last fall in Wilmington, North Carolina. Its beer can be found in hundreds of stores and bars across the state, and the business has plans to expand. But right now, the company is getting attention for its workforce. As our correspondent Jessica Gomez reports, the brewery has recruited and trained active gang members, hoping the beer business will help bring rivals together. Pretty much, I was just out here living the street life, you know, selling drugs, had a gun to protect myself. The streets of Southside Wilmington. For 31-year-old Anthony Brum, known as Ant, they were once his office. This is where, this is where my, um, my little bro died. A place where survival is often a measure of success. Ant in a gang since he was 16. I grew up in foster care, so I ain't really never have that 
that real family structure where I felt I belonged there. Now, Ant says he belongs here, his new office at True Colors, a startup brewery. And they're just saying it's violence, violence, violence. Where 65 of the more than 80 employees are active gang members. True stands for truth, responsibility, and unity. True Colors CEO, George Taylor. I went into it assuming, like I think most people do, that if you're in a gang, you've got like two roles in life. You sell drugs and carry a weapon and sometimes use it. Very quickly, I realized that's not true. That could be my look. Like, that would be it. Taylor, a successful entrepreneur, got the idea a few years ago. Yeah, that was just you, and I got hit, and my friend got hit. After a gang murder near his software company in downtown Wilmington. With help from authorities, Taylor tracked down some of the city's highest-ranking gang members, those like Press Bethay, gang life, all he'd ever known. I uh, was raised by my mother. Uh, she died of cancer a day after Christmas when I was 10 years old. And it was at that point that I actually started to feel like I had to become a man. Press and others here buying into Taylor's proposal, work for him and help stop the violence all while staying in their gangs. Frankly, if you want to make change, you have to meet people where they are. You can't say, hey, opportunity here, put on a collared shirt and come see me. It ain't happening. Taylor's $10 million investment into the company matched by outside investors, including beverage giant Molson Coors. There's no place that would offer them the same opportunity that they get here. A livable wage, uh, medical, vision, dental, stock options. What you got, Dave? True Colors onboarding process focusing on physical and emotional health, building confidence and corporate skills. Why did you come here to talk to me? Huh? And conflict resolution often between rival gang members with deep divisions. My mission is to really bridge these gaps, dealing with the bloods, is dealing with vice lords, is dealing with crips. Leonard Waddell, his nickname Dune, is on the True Colors payroll, but his job is in the streets, trying to keep the peace. When things go wrong in the hood, I have to be that stepping stone to say that it's gonna be all right. But recent gang violence now has some questioning the company's approach. I support the effort. I don't support the execution. New Hanover County District Attorney Ben David. I am for anything that is going to build community to help us fight crime. What I'm not for is the idea that you can renounce violence without also renouncing the gang. So what would hap happen is we have no employees. It sounds like your idea is if you can't beat them, join them. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, how long are we, how long are we going to continue to fight a losing battle? before we change our strategy. A strategy those like Ant say is making a difference on the streets and in lives. A lot of conversations happening within these walls that stop a lot of violence from happening. It's peaceful, you know what I'm saying? I can plan out like for the future. I don't have to worry about two weeks. In two weeks, I'll be locked up or dead or something like that. Neither does Press Bethay. Like I can actually live and relax. <laughs> And that's, that's something that I haven't done for most of my life, has been able to actually take a deep breath. In Wilmington, North Carolina, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Coming up on Matter of Fact, driving for change. Can the short track star they call the youngster steer a new generation of drivers and fans to NASCAR? And still ahead, highways, sidewalks, even buildings. The idea behind the new wind turbine walls that could soon be popping up in your city.
America's premier sports, the drive to embrace greater diversity has been a long, rough road. Since NASCAR leaders banned the Confederate flag in 2020, three new minority-owned teams have joined the race, including one co-owned by Michael Jordan and another by Pitbull. NASCAR says those new faces are helping the sport attract race fans of color. One of the drivers creating a buzz, a 19-year-old phenom who may represent NASCAR's best hope for an inclusive future. Special contributor Joey Chen met Blake Lothian at NASCAR's Mecca, Charlotte's Motor Speedway. On the speedway, someone tagged him the youngster, and the nickname stuck. I'm Blake Lothian. I'm a NASCAR driver for diversity driver with Rev Racing. I drive the number 16 car for AK Performance. Lothian is helping to set the pace in NASCAR's Drive for Diversity campaign, a decade-long effort that so far produced only the second top-tier racer in NASCAR's 72-year history, Bubba Wallace. With a fan base that's nearly 80% white, drivers like Lothian could be key to steering new fans to NASCAR. Is there really a place for African Americans to succeed, to be stars in the sport? Of course, I believe there definitely is. I mean. The statistics don't look amazing, but I say there definitely is always an opportunity. The road to NASCAR's premier Cup Series is a long one. Like many of his peers, Lothian started out with go-karts. By 10, he'd reached the first rungs of junior racing. Now he's driving toward a future as a pro. This is your baby. Oh yeah, she's uh, brought me to one top three so far, uh, two top fives. Though the AK garage starts drivers as young as eight. A former racer himself, Kendall Sellers warns young drivers that the odds are nearly always against them. When you're racing, you're one person against 25. So your, your percentages are, are way down. So it's the most unrewarding sport out there to this date, in my opinion. The challenges don't end there. Car racing is, obviously, dangerous. 70 miles an hour, he came in your door. Right here. I honestly thought I'd die when I got hit. It was so scary just being stuck there. Like there was nothing I could do. I just had my arms up like this, just preparing for the hit because I saw the guy coming right at me. Then after I got hit, I opened my eyes and I just saw fire from the other guy that hit me. His car was just completely engulfed in flames. Families must steal their nerves and open their wallets for an expensive journey. Even with a sponsored car, young drivers can run up gear travel and repair tabs into six figures. But the biggest barrier to launching a young driver may be getting in their heads. First of all, you have to convince the drivers that they're athletes. Coach Phil Horton trains the rev racing drivers and young pit crews to muscle up to the intensity of motorsport. What you're doing for three and a half hours you know, in a 130 degree car and you're in traffic, you know, going 200 miles an hour, you know, your hand-eye coordination has to be superb. Your stamina, your ability to deal with the heat and all of those things come under the athletic ram of being an athlete. Horton says NASCAR's recent efforts to build inclusion have helped, but the stories of the first African-American racers, drivers like Charlie Wiggins, who defied discrimination on the track and off, should really inspire young drivers to push the limits. We try to ingrain in them that motorsports is in their blood and that they're not breaking into something that is not a part of them. Still, for Lothian, 
and for NASCAR, making inroads with new fans will likely mean facing some hard bumps in the future. But both are focused on the road ahead. For Matter of Fact, I'm Joey Chen in Charlotte, North Carolina. Since we first met Blake Lothian, his drive to succeed in NASCAR hasn't let up. He's currently racing late model stock cars and is now approved to race on all NASCAR speedways. Ahead on Matter of Fact, for decades, indigenous women and girls have been disappearing, leaving families with little to hold on to. I pray for strength to go on, but it's so hard. The first of its kind alert system that could help bring the missing home. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. In February, we told you about a bill in Washington state that would create an alert system for missing indigenous people. The system is modeled after the Amber Alert for missing children and the Silver Alert for missing older adults. The proposal was sponsored by the only Native American member of the Washington State Legislature, Democrat Deborah Lakanoff. The alert system intertwines our tribal, local, state, federal police together and our broadcasters showing that we have lost a woman and we need to bring her back to our family. Just last month, Washington Senate passed the bill on the heels of the state's House of Representatives. Both were unanimous votes. The state becomes the very first in the nation to create this kind of alert system. Next on Matter of Fact, Windwall or Work of Art? And finally, wind power is one of the fastest growing forms of clean energy. But wind turbines aren't always popular with the design-minded. For decades, communities have campaigned against wind farms, saying they're eyesores on the landscape. But now, an engineer has invented a turbine that's more artwork than machine. The wind turbine wall is made up of rotary blades that spin in the wind, generating electricity, designed for use in urban areas. You can put them up around buildings or on sidewalks, and that energy can be stored in a battery or fed back into the power grid. The turbine walls are still in the final engineering stages, but the creator says they far outperform any other type of clean energy system per square foot. It's kind of a breath of fresh air. I'm Soledad O'Brien. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories about the young girl at the center of an historic case that helped integrate public schools, a brewery run by gang members, a young NASCAR driver who is bringing diversity to his sport, and a first-of-its-kind alert system to help find missing Native and Indigenous people, just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.